So, hello and welcome to yet another Tea with Z blog, blog, and podcast. And today, what are we talking about? Today, we are talking about, wait for it, 20 communication habits that affect parents and leaders. I know. Okay, so let's just jump right in. So first things first, I need to call out the cultural components of parenting and the definition of Okay, so there's this wonderful documentary called Babies that really brought this home to me um, about two years after I had my first son. No, my second son. So the movie follows the, the first year of four babies from very different places in the world, so vastly different backgrounds. So the U.S., I think it's San Francisco, uh, nomadic Mongolia, urban Tokyo, Japan, and tribal Namibia. And so I got to see the unsurprising um, universal love and uh, the culturally specific parenting that each baby received. So I was raised in North American, um, with the North American sort of uh, parenting, and it was the immigrants from the old country now living in the Canadian prairies type of parenting. So I hadn't really considered the extremes of parenting styles still extant in the 21st century. Extant, great word. Okay, so yes, I assume that parents love, everywhere love their children. Yes, I believe that, that each parent would do the best they could with their child. And yes, of course, I knew intellectually that there had to be differences, right? So, but what those differences were, how they played out, how they formed worldview, never really crossed my mind. So really, the idea of good or effective parenting is fraught. I love that word. I use it in other blogs. I love it so much. Um, This means that it's dangerous to put an ethical, moral, or even functional label on parenting in the absence of context. Seems obvious, right? So does that leave us bereft of of any definition of effective parenting because it's all relative? On the surface, perhaps, but I believe there are other elements to be considered. And those are really about humans helping other humans to be fully human. Follow that? So given the nature, given that relative nature of parenting, then How can I call this article 20 communication habits, effective parents, blah, 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 in good conscience? And why am I wading into these fraught waters? In favor, great. Well, my work is all tied up in confidence, authenticity, empowerment, communication, and leadership, for one. So parenting comes up a lot, even though, you know, we start the relationship usually from a coaching standpoint, from a work-related standpoint. And then because everything's connected and interconnected, if you're a parent, parenting comes up. And even if you're not a parent, parenting comes up, but it's your parents. So, and if there's one thing that parenting, specifically mothers, can benefit from, it's, it's 
it's a healthy dose of support in, in the areas around empowerment, communication, confidence, authenticity, and so on. So motherhood as a subsection of parenting, where I'm specifically um, referring to the experience of the person who identifies as a woman. So that's frequently, okay, a terrifying minefield of judgment and belittlement, one that strips normally confident, intelligent women of their power and their sovereignty as individuals. In fact, my entire dissertation, and the link is in the show notes if you are so inclined to check it out, revolved around these ideas. And just, you know, let you know that it's written as a one-woman show, my dissertation, within a novella, within a thesis. So it's not as boring as you might think. So that's a gratuitous self-aggrandizement moment right there, by the way. So then it's a natural extension of my beliefs, um, work, education, and experience to play in this space. Plus, I've got two teenage boys right now. So every single woman I work with has stories about the parenting she received or didn't receive as the case may be. And if she's a mother, the stories about the kind of mother she should be and the kind of mother she is. So unsurprisingly, stories about the, um, so a moment here. Unsurprisingly, very few women I work with confidently and authentically say, I'm a great mother. Are they great mothers? I'd be willing to bet that most of them are very good, even great, but they either don't believe that or they're afraid of the consequences of saying that aloud, similar to self-promotion in the workplace. So imposter syndrome is alive and well and well within the motherhood realm as well. So you might be surprised to hear that mothering is actually an area of academic research. Shouldn't surprise you given its importance, but, and it's one that I've been involved in with, in and with for many years. So like most things in my life, I haven't been content to accept the received wisdom as de facto wise. So I wrote about the idea of mother work in the Encyclopedia of Motherhood um, the link is in the blog notes. Yes, there is an encyclopedia of motherhood, and it is a huge, huge academic volume. And the idea really boils down to the belief that, and I'm quoting myself here, a mother who loves herself is then able to love a child, and in doing so teaches that child that he or she is worthy of being loved. This instills a sense of self-esteem and a loved sense of self that empowers in the face of adversity. Now, yes, I'm quoting myself, but I'm talking specifically about mother work, which is not my invention. So this idea of mother work and, and the mother that loves herself that can then teach a child to love himself, all of that, it isn't attached to income, education, location, age, gender identity. It's attached only to being human, which guess what? We all share that in common. So we're still left with a very real conundrum though. If you as a mother do not love yourself, how can you communicate effectively and authentically so that your child can hear your love of yourself and therefore the worthiness of themselves? Hmm. So kids can see through our bullshit. I assure you, they know inauthentic when they experience it. Now, 
I know that these are deep areas and seemingly not the subject of the blog, but stick with me a minute. Okay. My mother, for instance, had a very, very rough childhood. Abuse, poverty, neglect, violence, all of these things and more completely stripped her world of stability, love, and safety. She didn't learn to love herself. She didn't, and largely still doesn't, regard herself as worthy of love. She's got all kinds of walls and barriers. And as a result, her ability to engage in mother work, where her love of herself was transferred to me, was decimated. So she took care of me fabulously. She made sure I was safe, uh, fed, well-educated, all of those things. And all those things she didn't have growing up, but there was no warmth, no depth to the love that she imbued me with because it simply wasn't in her. So I was raised believing that there was only one way to raise kids properly, my parents' way. As a mother of two myself, I can fully appreciate where my parents were coming from. After all, you know, you try to parent in the way that you think is best. And that by definition means that the other's approaches are not the best. That or you flip it around and you're covetous of other people are so much better than you are. And then you aspire to that. So it can go both ways. So in my growing up, there was no such thing as equanimity or philosophizing around the topic of parenting. Black and white, right and wrong, those were the parameters of my experience. And that would have probably been how I parented had I not ended up working with diverse families in the field of communication, authenticity, leadership, and so forth. I would have probably continued to believe that one size should fit all. However, I have witnessed and been part of many different approaches to parenting that led to really good kids and happy families. Not as extreme as the babies documentary that I referred to at the beginning. That, that really was kind of a mind bending sort of thing because I'd had like this much diversity, but like there was like that much diversity. So it was mind blowing too. So out of all of this, I would argue that there are patterns of parenting that are more productive and lead more quickly to positive outcomes and build, build and maintain strong, healthy relationships. So there are ones that are kind of patterns of parenting that are more effective than others. And again, I have seen and experienced these patterns across a multitude of situations, whether the diversity is cultural, religious, educational, economic, or value systems. And it hinges always on a few key things, clear communication, respect and inclusion, authenticity and courage, accountability and responsibility, and compassion and care. Interestingly, I see the exact same requirements coming out of effective leadership and work that I do there too. So clearly there is something larger at play here. Being a parent, is the hardest leadership job you will ever have. And it is leadership, make no mistake. It is terrifying, relentless, unpredictable, wildly emotional, and people will be eager to tell you what you're doing wrong publicly. Also sounds like leading teams and organizations in my opinion. Further, much like leadership, you can't be an effective parent if you don't know who you are, what you stand for, where your boundaries are, where you intend to go especially women. And I say especially women intentionally because like it or not, 
we're the culture bearers and likely the ones who will have the deepest influence on those in our care. So much of my work is about digging into the stories we've been told, told ourselves or been immersed in unknowingly. Parenting is no different. If you've had the chance to get to know yourself and your stories before becoming a parent, you're a step ahead. However, if you entered motherhood, if you've entered motherhood without the benefit of that deep personal work, which incidentally does not require that you've spent years in therapy, you can still engage with your child or children in ways that allow you to balance your journey and theirs, which, believe it or not, is not the same journey. And you can do this respectfully and effectively. And that is what this habit list is meant to give you a bit of how-to or a roadmap for that journey. It is, it's not like prescriptive though, okay? So don't be like, I gotta do this and I gotta do it exactly like this. So and you can use this no matter if you're thinking about having kids or in the trenches with toddlers or teenagers or working to establish healthy parenting boundaries with adult children. Bit of a heads up there, once you're a mother, you're on the hook for life, just saying. So put this list on your fridge. Put it in your phone, write it out in your journal, make a recording or a checklist that helps you remember and just reflect, right? Work on a habit a day, a week, or a month. Cycle through them to build your competence and confidence. Name what you're doing with your children and give them the self-awareness and language that will help them employ these ideas in their lives and their own future parenting and or leadership journeys. So the list. Here we go. Ready? Gonna have to read this. So number one, listen to understand rather than simply listening and waiting to have your turn. Number two, ask open-ended questions. Three, admit you don't have all the answers or sometimes any of the answers. Four, admit when you're wrong. Five, Acknowledge your emotions. And if you need some help with the words of emotion, check out Flitchick's Wheel of Emotion. Link is in the show notes. Recognize, number six, the difference between facts and opinions. That's a little harder sometimes than should strictly be necessary or true. Number seven, realize the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world are just that, stories based on beliefs and biases. Eight, act with accountability based on clear understanding. Nine, expect accountability with clear expectations. 10, stop talking all the time. 11, stop being too busy or distracted to engage person to person. 12, model respectful communications in all situations and with all people. 13, laugh at yourself. 14, get to know yourself so you can engage with authenticity. Live in the now. This is number 15, not the past or the future. 16, understand that stress prevents anyone from being able to think clearly and make accommodations to respect this. 17, don't use words as weapons. 18, Make eye contact. 19, use accessible language. And 20, co-create conversation solutions, approaches, etc. So really, this list is about humans being humans with other humans. 
striving for connection and understanding rather than dominance. By the way, I invite you to try a little thought experiment. So reread the list or re-listen to the list, but think about it as if this list were about how to be an effective leader. You see what I see? So I'm gonna leave you with a little reminder and a little pep talk. You are amazing by virtue of being here. And by here, I don't mean here with me, although you know you are amazing for that too, but I mean being there, existing. You are one of a kind by definition. That is truly the most wondrous thing if you think about it. Embrace it and teach those around you to do the same. Go forth, be effective, live life fully. All right, all right. So uh, again, I'm gonna remind you to check out Facebook. So it's backslash T, T-E-E with D. Follow or like the stuff I'm talking about. And take the opportunity if you'd like to join us at the Tea House, which I'm just in the process of building. So it's to support and connect women interested in the sort of stuff we serve at Tea with D. You can find me at LinkedIn, uh, backslash T with D again, to see when and where I'm speaking next. And check out weekly blogs, blogs, podcasts like this subscribe or take a fun quiz or download the reflection guide or just get a dose of sass on the mothership which is www.t with d so that t-e-e with the letter d dot com i'll see you there <laughs>